0: I wanted to let you know, last week I had the opportunity to go and preach at a little church in Byrome. If you don't know where Byrome is, it's a garden community uh, next to Leroy, so just to let you know where that is, that ought to clear that up for you. But uh, I grew up in a little small country church. I went to a church in Leroy, Texas, the Leroy Church, and I was under the tutelage of the Reverend Dr. Gardner Ellis. And Gardner Ellis was at Leroy and also at the Byrome Church for over 50 years. He was there longer than W.A. Chriswell was at First Baptist in Dallas. So uh, I sort of bring it up because it's a great privilege because my grandfather is one who called uh, Brother Ellis to come preach at Leroy, I think in around 1937. So a lot of times we want bigger and better, but Dr. Ellis was very faithful in bringing God's Word to... Me to that church. So if you look at an old map, if you look at an old map, and if you don't have an old map, talk to to Mike Nelson over here. He's probably got a couple old maps in his glove box. But if you go back and look in the 20s and the 30s, if you look at these old maps, you'll look down these little farm and market roads. And especially if you look at this farm and market road 308, if you go down there, you'll see along that road is that there's a railroad track. And those railroad tracks were the lifeblood for these small towns. And about every seven miles you would see Leroy, you see Byron, uh, you see Penelope and Malone, you see all those, all those towns along those roads as you look at them. And, and those roads I like to think as the old lifeblood for uh, our communities, for uh, America, and for the church. And God can bring His Word in any environment. It can be a big church, it can be a mega church, it can be a small church. And I grew up in a small country church, and I have a great affection for those people that come and are faithful uh, to be here. Uh, and I just mentioned that because you're in a good church here, and you're in the fine tutelage of of, uh, of John Crowder. And I'm going to show you how good a preacher he is after I preach today. You're going to think John's a good preacher. So I'll show you how good John is today. But did want to come and share with you the Word today. Looks like i got an hour and a half to, uh, to preach here. We'll take a break around noon. And we'll send somebody out to get a bucket of chicken and get everybody a drumstick, and we won't hold you over past 2 o'clock. I don't think I'll be that long today. But I wanted to talk to you about a little bit about entering into his rest. <clears throat> and... There's three books I'm usually drawn to in the New Testament, and I'm drawn to these books not because I understand them. I'm drawn to them because they're confusing and I don't understand them, but I find them fascinating. And the three books that I always go to to try to understand is going to be one of those is going to be Galatians, uh, which I call Galatians Roman Light. The other book I go to is Romans. And then today we're going to talk about a book called Hebrews. We're going to go into the Hebrew book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is an interesting book. In fact, Hebrews is probably, there's probably good evidence and good scholarship that shows that Hebrew was actually a sermon. So it's actually a recording of a sermon. We don't really know who the author of Hebrews is. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't sort of map out like a regular Pauline epistle. Uh, it, it does look like it was written by somebody who was close to the apostles, so we're not really sure about that. But the authorship of Hebrews is not important. It's what's inside the book that is important. So I'm going to take a look at Hebrews. And a um, fascinating book here. And you can sit down and read Hebrews in about 30 minutes. Uh, if I read it out loud, it would take about 45 minutes. We do have time for that, but I don't think I'm going to go there. But take some time in a sitting when you've got a half an hour and just take a look and read through Hebrews. It's rich. It's rich in doctrine and theology. It's rich, rich in practical application. It's just a good overall book that talks about who Christ is, who we are, how we interact with Christ and God, how we come into relationship with that. And especially today, I want to talk about entering into his rest. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Hebrews 4. So when we look at Hebrews, Hebrews 4, it talks about here, it's going to talk about the rest. It's going to talk about the rest that was promised. And I say the promise goes back to Abraham. Salvation comes through us through the promise of Abraham. A lot of Jews will look back to Moses, but Moses doesn't bring salvation. Moses brings the law. And what does the law do? The law shows us how undone we are. The law shows us how unworthy we are to receive His salvation. So we as Christians go back to the Abrahamic covenant. And Jesus is a fulfillment of that, and you're going to see that as we read through Hebrews 4. Let me start in the first verse there. It says, Therefore, let us us fear if, while a promise remains of entering His rest. Any one of you may seem to have come short of it, for indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they did also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So we're saved by faith and faith alone. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said. As I swore, to, swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has said, or was said, somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God entered on the seventh day for all his rest. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for us to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them, failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear my word, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest... He would have spoken of another day. He would not have spoken of another day that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. So here I see you. I've read to verse 11. We're going to look at some of those other verses following but He talks about us entering into the rest, entering into the sabbatical rest. We talk, about John, we talk about God. We see on the seventh day, God rested. We talk about the first six days of creation, and on the seventh day, He rested. But He's talking about a different rest. He's not talking about resting necessarily from our labors, but He's talking about resting from our works. And how do we enter into that rest? We enter into that rest by being obedient and believing by faith in Jesus Christ. We enter into an eternal sabbatical rest, if you will. We won't realize that until we, Jesus comes again, or until we pass over to the other side. And so, uh, I would encourage you that God has called us to enter into His rest. And that's a rest from our works, because we can't work in order to be saved. Is that It's a free gift from God. So I see this verse as he's talking about the whole promise. He talks about the promise that he promised Abraham. He talks about the promise of the prophets, and we'll look at that in just a second. And he's promising something that's greater than what he offered Abraham. He's talking about the ultimate rest that we will receive. And that ultimate rest from God's wrath is going to be through Jesus Christ. Let's continue reading and looking at those next few verses. As we look at verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit in both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, this is how we know God is through God's Word. We come to understand God. I think God reveals Himself through His written Word. So if you want to know what God is revealing to you, you have to know it through His Word. Verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confessions. And what is our confession? Our confession is that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. That Christ has come as a sacrifice for us. He has come as the ultimate sacrifice. He's come as the perfect sacrifice. And so He talks about Uh, Jesus has come to pay a penalty on our behalf because of our trespasses and sin. And because of that is that we can enter into His rest. He talks about in this last part of verse 14, he uh, He says that let us hold fast to our confession. So we've looked at a couple of things. We looked at verse 11 where it talks about enter His rest with diligence. Enter His rest with diligence. And doesn't that seem interesting that we have to be diligent about entering into rest? I would say to you that it's interesting to enter into His rest because it's unnatural. You know, we we want to work for our salvation, but God says you can't work for it. It's a free gift. It's a gift that I offer to you through Jesus Christ. So we have to be diligent about entering into His rest because our salvation is based on the work of Christ, not the work of ourselves. So first he tells us in verse 11 that we are to enter into his rest with diligence. So that's with thoughtfulness. That's with acknowledging that it's Christ's work and not our work. And then the second verse we see here is that we hold fast to our confession. Our hope is in the redemptive work of Christ. We're confessing that the redemptive work of Christ saves us. And what does it save us from? Well, the language we see here in Hebrews, especially in chapter 4, it saves us from the wrath of God because of the sacrificial work that Christ has done on the cross because I needed someone to cleanse me, to make me pure. Because God is holy. If there's anything I've found out, God is holy and I am not. And neither are you. So in order for us to have relationship with God, we have to be holy. And the only way we can be holy is through Jesus Christ. So this second verse says we're to hold on to that confession. We're to hold on to the confession that Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrificial Lamb of Christ and that uh, Jesus is the one who saves us. Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. And because of that, He has a perfect offering. And because of that, we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore. It says later on in Hebrews, it talks about there's no remission for sins. Without the shading of blood. And that's what they're talking about is that the Old Testament had this idea we would have sacrifices, bring sacrifices for the Passover, and that that blood would cover our sins. But we see here in Jesus is that he's a perfect sacrifice. He doesn't only cover those sins, but he totally removes those. And in the sight of God is that we can have a relationship with him because of Jesus Christ. Let us continue to read. We're going to look at verse 15 and 16 now. And I promise I won't read past chapter 4, so you're safe. You won't have to change the reservations to the Luby. I'll get you out of here in time. So let's look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we have, yet without sin. So verse 15 should give us some hope. is we have a Savior who understands what we're going through, He understands that what humanness is. A mystery of Christ that we don't understand is that He was totally and fully God. He was deity and He was totally and fully human. He felt the same things we did while He was here on earth. He had the same sorrows and, and hurts and pains and hunger and all the things that we deal with on a daily basis. It talks about in, that His mercies are new every morning. Why does mercies have to be new every morning? Well, just like every morning I get up and I think, you know, I probably should shower today. I probably should shave today. You know, I'm hungry. I probably should eat today. So this process of sanctification that we talk about is that it is the work of Christ, but it's also us working in conjunction with God, not for our salvation, but for our sanctification. In other words, how do we become more Christ-like? How do we become holy? That's a lifelong process and it's a daily process. That's why, his ner- that's why His mercies have to be new every morning. In other words, I don't get to level 100 in sanctification and never go back. I have to cry- I have to ask for His mercies every day just like I have to get up and go through my morning routine and go through and eat meals several times a day because He gives us His mercy every day. He also says that In this life, you'll have troubles. You'll have enough trouble for today. I don't need to worry about the troubles that are going to happen on Monday. i got troubles i got to worry about Sunday. And God's mercies are new every day. Is that good news for you? Is that good news to know that He gives you mercy every day? So let's not worry about Monday. Let's worry about Sunday. And let's be grateful He's given us mercy today. That we could come to church and hear His good word and come to church and rejoice and fellowship together as a congregation. But guess what? Monday's coming. And you'll need new mercies for tomorrow. And He'll give you those mercies, and you'll be able to go through that day. Let's look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you have needs? In this world, you're going to have troubles, aren't you? In this world, you're going to have needs. But I can boldly go before the throne of grace because of God's mercy. God's mercy, is His, um, God's mercy is Him not giving me what I do deserve. I deserve to be one of the thieves on the cross. So God's mercy allows me to come boldly before His throne because of His grace. Because God sees me through the eyes of Jesus Christ, through His redemptive work. And that's why I can boldly come before the throne, not because of anything I did, but because of everything that Christ did. So let me encourage you, is that you have a Savior who can sympathize with what you're doing with. If you read the few verses that we read through before then, verse 11, 12, or 13, it talks about He can see your heart. You know what's in your heart. The person next to you may not know what's in your heart. I know what's in my heart, and I certainly don't want you to know what's in my heart. But God sees that. God sees that. So we're not going to fool God. We may fool ourselves. We may fool our spouse. We're not going to fool God. He knows what's in your heart. But we can come boldly before God. We can ask for His forgiveness. He says in 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, He'll be faithful to forgive us. So we can come before God. God, I know my heart's not where it needs to be. I know You tell me to love my neighbor. I don't even like my neighbor. We can confess that to God because He already knows that. But He says, you know, your mercies are new every morning. I come before your throne to receive your grace. I come before you to confess my sins. I come before you not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is. And Father God, I want to live a life of gratitude. We enter into His rest not because we're trying to work for our salvation. We enter into His rest because of His graciousness and mercy. And our good works that it talks about in Ephesians is to give gratitude back to Jesus Christ. So our life is not striving to become somebody or to show other people how good I am. I don't, you know, my my, my life I want to live to show you the goodness of Christ, not the goodness of Todd, because if you come look at my goodness, you're going to be disappointed every time. Just ask Grace. Grace is over here, she'll tell you. I'm good at disappointing people, aren't I? Oh, you went you went to that pretty quick, didn't you, huh? So we want to look to Christ and we want to point people to Christ because we're believing in the redemptive work of Christ, not because Christ does something in me and then I work for my salvation. When Christ does something in me, He saves me. And I'm sealed until the day of redemption. So what is all this work about? This work is to show our love and gratitude towards Jesus Christ. So we have a Savior that can sympathize with our temptations and sympathize with our shortcomings and sympathize with our daily pains and daily suffering and daily hunger. And His mercies are new every morning, aren't they? So we can come back to that. We all go So we can confess our sins and know that He is going to be faithful to forgive us. And we can boldly come before with confidence to the throne of grace. Do we go before the throne of grace in confidence? I don't. I usually have to be drugged there. I usually go to the throne of grace as a last resort. But I think here in Hebrews, He's telling us this needs to be our first resort. We need to be comfortable in entering to His rest as I can boldly go to the throne of God because of the redemptive work of Christ. Because I know that I am forgiven. I know that His mercies are new every morning. I know I can be confident. So I would encourage you to draw near because of His mercy and grace. And that's going to be Hebrews 4.16 that I can do that. 4.16 that I can do that. So, uh, this is exciting news. And we get to enter God's rest because of Jesus Christ. We see the saints and the prophets before Jesus, they couldn't enter into that rest. They were not able to enter into that rest. But now we can enter into that rest. we look at that first part of Hebrews 4 and we read through that, is God has called us to enter into His sabbatical rest. He's called us to enter into quitting from striving and working for our salvation because Christ has already secured that. And He's called us into that rest. But you know what? We get to enter into that rest because of our time we were born into history. But at the time that God talked to the saints and God talked to the prophets, they could not enter into His rest. If you read this passage in Hebrews 4, the way I read it is that Abraham could not enter into his rest. Isaac could not enter into his rest. Jacob could not enter into his rest. Joshua could not enter into his rest. Moses could not enter into his rest. Even if we look at chapter 11, we call that the hall of fame of faith is that these people were revered in chapter 11 not because of who they were, because they did some rotten things just like you and I do rotten things. They were revered in chapter 11 because of their faith. Because of the faith they had. So even as we remember chapter 11 and look at those people in 11, we have a long list of people that could not enter into His rest. Abel could not enter into His rest. And Enoch could enter into His rest. Moses could not enter into His rest. Sarah could not enter into His rest. Joseph could not enter into his rest. Rahab could not enter into his rest. Gideon could not enter into his rest. Barak could not enter into his rest. Samson could not enter into his rest. Jethro could not enter into his rest. Samuel could not enter into his rest. And the prophets could not enter into his rest. Until Christ paid the ultimate price on the cross. And He paid His ultimate price on the cross is that they could enter into His rest, just like you and I could enter into His rest. So we have all these people, and this is a different sermon for a different time, but we have Adam came into a perfect world. Adam had free will, and Eve had free will, but not after they sinned. So we've been looking for a second Adam. So we saw Adam sort of blew it, and we looked for a second Adam. We looked... To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We looked at Joshua. We looked at these people that we were hoping to bring in as the new Messiah to become the second Adam, to enter us into a different age. We don't see that until we see Jesus. So Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That's a different sermon for a different time. But Jesus is greater. I want to take a look at two more verses, and that's going to be in Hebrews 12. You're already there. And you're familiar with these verses. These verses are important. or familiar. We usually learn these verses. We memorize these verses in short context. But I encourage you to take some time this week. Take 30 minutes out of your time and just read the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is rich. Hebrews is rich. Hebrews is not ramen noodles. Hebrews is handmade spaghetti with lots of cream sauce on there and lots of spaghetti. This is a meaty, meaty book here. So I encourage you to read Hebrews. But let's look at those two verses that are in chapter 12. The first two verses there. And this is exciting. A lot of times we read this at funerals. But it says, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, How do we do that? tells us in verse 2. So we're going to run this race by fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God because His work was done. His work was finished. And now we can enter into the rest because of the redemptive work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. So four points of the sermon today. I went over pretty quick. I didn't put slides together because I didn't know when to click them. So, but I want to let you know that the four things we looked at today from the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 4, is that one, we enter His rest with diligence. Is that this is a conscious effort to enter into His rest. Is that I realize that I'm not working for my salvation, but my life and good works are lived out as a testimony of God's goodness in my life, not to, not to do anything aside from give gratitude to God because He's already saved me. The second thing I wanted to talk about was that we hold fast to our confession. What is our confession? You know, this is a unique place we come to every Sunday. We come to Sunday, and I hope Sunday, church is different than anything else you do. Church should be a different thing that we do every day, every week that we come to church. We assemble it with other believers. We assemble with a lot of people we know well, some people we don't know well. We know their background. But we lay aside our politics and our preferences. We lay aside all that thing because we come here to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We come here to worship the one object that that is due our affection, that's Jesus Christ. So this is a unique place we come every Sunday. So we want to hold fast to our confession and the confession that has been from century to century over the past 2,000 years is that Jesus Christ paid a price that we could not pay because we owed a debt that we could not pay. The third thing is that we can draw near because of mercy and grace. There's, there's not a penance process we go through. Not that we're not repentant. We are repentant. But we go before the throne of God because of mercy and grace and ask for forgiveness. And God has given us right standing before God because of the work of Christ. That should bring you some comfort and joy and conviction and excitement. Because my relationship as God is that there's not a 12-step program. There's a one-step program. Come and confess your sins to Jesus Christ and He will be faithful to forgive you. That should be exciting news to you. Because you know what? I, I blew it yesterday. I really messed up. I sinned yesterday. But I've asked Him to forgive me. Today's a new day and I've gotten new mercies today, but guess what? I've already blown it today. Don't look surprised, you have too. But you know what? We can go and confess our sins and we can be forgiven and we can be right standing with God, which should give us joy and excitement to live a life of gratitude. You know, I preached a sermon a while back about my dad called He Gave Me Everything Money Couldn't Buy. In my life, I give with my parents, and the way I I interacted with my parents is they never treated me like I owed them anything, although I did. I owed them everything. But all they wanted from me was love and uh, gratitude. And that's what God wants from you, is love and gratitude. There's no way you can repay God, but you can show love and gratitude. And that's what we do when we come before this throne of grace. Is that we confess our sins, He forgives us, and He puts us back in right standing. Is that good news? That should be good news. We should be excited about that. I'm going to get extra jello at Luby's today. All right, I'm so excited. And the last thing we talked about is we want to run with endurance. We want to run this race with endurance and with confidence. Is that we run this race by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, there's lots of things to fix our eyes on. And none of them look like Jesus. They want a promise like Jesus, but they don't deliver. There's lots of things to fix our eyes on, and I've been guilty of that. There's only three problems. i got my problems narrowed down to three things to let you know. The lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Aside from those three things, i got it all figured out. But those three things cover everything, don't they? So... But we run this race, we run this race with endurance because of the price that Jesus paid, because of the gratitude we have, because everything we have we owe to God, don't we? The goodness in our life we owe to God, the joy in our life we owe to God. So, my encouragement for you this week is that you enter into his rest. You enter into his rest, is that we can rest because we know that Jesus has paid his price. Because Jesus paid that price, all those people we talked about in Hebrews can enter into His rest because of the redemptive work of Christ. We need to hold fast to our confessions. You know, the old-fashioned ways are sometimes the right way. So we look at what the Bible tells us, who we are, who Jesus is, how we become into the right relationship with God. That's our confession. That's our confession. and then we draw near to God through mercy and grace, mercy and grace. is that mercy keeps us from getting what we deserve, and grace gives us what we don't deserve. And that's a relationship with God. That's forgiveness of sins. And let us run with endurance, because we are fixing our hope, and we are fixing our joy on Jesus Christ, the author and perfector of our faith we put our hope in that and then we can have the endurance that it takes to run this race because anything else would disappoint and we've all been disappointed because we have put our faith in other things let me read this uh, last verse these two verses as a prayer let us pray and i want to pray to you these verse from hebrews 12 and then we'll sing our invitation Father God, we come to you because, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that we can lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, Lord. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, that we may fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of this faith, who for the joy set before Him, Endured the cross for me. He also despised the shame that was associated with that, Father. But he sat down at the right hand of God because he had completed everything you had called him to do, Father. And I pray that we would live a life of glory and honor and praise as we seek after you. Amen.